Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You have Brian and Jeff along. And Jeff, we're going to be continuing our series on the traditions of men versus the Word of God. Been kind of an interesting series, and certainly look forward to this installment where we have some more information to share with everyone. Sure, and I think as we've mentioned at least once before in the series, you know, we're not here to be you know especially harsh or hypercritical or anything along those lines, or you know, question people's sincerity. You know, but we would encourage people to take what we're saying, go back to the scriptures, and examine, you know, the, the kinds of things that people say should be done religiously uh, in light of the scriptures, and realize that there's a lot of different groups that have a lot of differing views on what should be done, and try to sort out the, you know, views of man versus uh, what God really wants us to do. Yeah, appreciate you mentioning that, because that's exactly right. You know, you and I are simply conveying what the Bible teaches, and ultimately it's the responsibility of each one of us to examine the scriptures and compare it to anything. And you know, a lot of it, Jeff, I kind of view as we're just sort of sending out some warnings, because there are a lot of religions that have things that are very appealing. Like when we talk about modern religions, you know, there are some fantastic things that these, well, I say fantastic in the sense, in in the world's eyes, you know, they do some fantastic things as it relates to ministries and helping people who are in prison and children that don't have fathers and mothers, things like that. And so I think sometimes what can happen is when good is accomplished, then people start to wonder, well, I know it's not in the Bible, but how could that possibly be a problem? It's accomplishing so much good. And I think what we're trying to say is, well, we still have to follow what God's word has outlined. He knows what's best for us. Let's not introduce things that God's Word doesn't approve of. True. And in addition to people getting connected, if you will, with popular doctrines and practices, sometimes they get connected with popular people, uh, very charismatic leaders, and you know, almost like swear allegiance, if you will, if I could use that term, to them and pretty much follow their teaching, uh, in some cases almost blindly. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about those, those scenarios as well. Yeah, that's right. In fact, that's describing a cult, isn't it? So I'll ask those who are listening, when you think about a cult, what comes to your mind? What are some things that you think about? So do you think about like Jim Jones and the People's Temple? I believe it was in the 1970s where he brought them to, was it Ghana? And everybody committed suicide. And to your point, Jeff, you made about following leaders. You know, there were many that thought what Jim Jones wanted them to do was the right thing. Or do you think about like David Koresh and the Branch Davidians? You might remember in Waco, Texas, and it ended up in this fiery death trap, if you will. Or do you think about religions like the Church of Scientology that was founded by science fiction writer L. Ron Hubbard? And, you know, he wrote some books that were very popular that brought people into that religion. Or the Reverend Sun Myung Moon, and the Unification Church, those that might also be known as the Moonies. Or how about more mainstream religions like the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses? Have you ever thought about that they are cults? Well, all of these examples that I just mentioned are cults by definition. And so let's talk about that. You know, when we define a cult, 
And if you were to go and look at whether it's a traditional dictionary definition or if you have some books, like I have a book called Kingdom of the Cults. It was a really good book that outlined a lot of the beliefs of cults. So what other, whatever source you use, what you'll find is that the definitions vary of a cult, but there are some commonalities, if you will. So for instance, cults are normally defined as a system of religious beliefs and ritual. Okay, that's kind of generic, but as you start diving more into it, these are religions that are regarded as unorthodox or what we might call spurious. So like think about voodoo, even satanic religions. Or a religion whose beliefs differ from the majority around them. So that's more of a general description of their beliefs are often very different than what you would find in the Bible. How about a religious group that denies one or more of the fundamentals of biblical truth? Once again, that's a very common trait you'll see as we dig into some of these cults. Or a religion or sect considered to be false, unorthodox, or extremist with members often living outside of conventional society under the direction of a charismatic leader. So that's one I think, Jeff, that comes to my mind often when we think about cults is, you know, once again, we're talking about the Branch Davidians and, and groups like that. Uh, and yeah, I would tend to agree with that because when when we use the word cult, there's kind of the definition that you might, as you said, might find in the dictionary. But there's also kind of an emotional implication. like. For those on the outside, if you will, looking into the group, you know, cult is like strange, odd, or weird, but also kind of scary, kind of dangerous because of what's going on. And we'll get more into that as we progress. Yeah, and I think that's why at a basic level, this last definition is one we also want to consider. And that is a group of people gathered about a specific person or person's interpretation of the Bible. So what are some examples of that? Well, the Mormons and how they adhere to teachings from Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, or the Christian scientists who follow Mary Baker Eddy's teachings, Jehovah's Witnesses by their own admission. In fact, early on, you know, following the interpretations of Charles Russell and J.F. Rutherford. And so, you know, you think about the fringe groups, like we might call them, that follow a David Koresh. Well, that's a central leader, but so are some of these other religions that are following, once again, Brigham Young, Charles Russell, and so forth. So, Jeff, I guess one of the good places for us to start is, you know, talking about how what makes these cults so powerful and effective and appealing is that there are often psychological elements that are part of the religion that draw people in and keep them there once they are in that religion. True. And, you know, maybe not in all cases, but let's kind of uh, expand on on that a little bit uh, in terms of the mental or, as you mentioned, the, the psychological aspects. You know, some or most cults, you know, kind of share some uh, common traits. For instance, in many cases, their followers are fairly closed-minded, not really interested in any sort of external input or, you know, rational evaluation of the facts uh, that, generally speaking, the organization that they belong to, you know, interprets things for them. They may even be opposed or hostile uh, toward what might be considered, you know, mainstream Christianity. In fact, I know at least with both the Mormons and the Witnesses, you know, they will try to get you to doubt what you, you know, already believe to 
make room for, you know, their teaching. You know, for instance, with the Mormons, you know, they may say, yeah, we believe in the Bible so long as it is correctly translated. But then they want to add all these other things, you know, to it's almost like make room for this new Latter-day Revelation. Or with the Jehovah's Witnesses, they want to make room for the teachings of the, you know, Watchtower tract and, um, if I remember right, the Watchtower tract and Bible Society, if, if I got that right, for their teachings, uh, their interpretations, if you will, uh, of the scriptures. And in some ways, we, we kind of see hints of that or in uh, John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, where it talks about, you know, the light coming into the world in love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes into the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. You know, in the sense of, you know, the more you shine the light of Scripture on something, Hopefully, if it's something that you, you know, believe, willing to accept, resonate with, you know, you'll come into that and, and accept it and embrace it. In a lot of cases, and I know particularly with Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, they're closed-minded. I mean, you can say what you want to say, but it makes basically no impression. You know, they've, they've got their, their beliefs, regardless of what you, you know, have to say, regardless of what the, what the scriptures teach. Sometimes uh, they're fairly intolerant, if you will, uh, of other views. As we said, you know, minds have been often, you know, conditioned and, and controlled. And the weird thing, Brian, is in a lot of cases, for instance, like with the Mormons, they'll use Bible terminology, but the terms have kind of been shifted or redefined or twisted to, to fit the system of belief that they believe in. You know, classic example, 16, 17, 18-year-old elders. Well, that's not the biblical use of the term, even though it is a biblical term. Often, but not always, the basis of their claims are supernatural. Mormons, for sure. In other cases, modern-day prophets, alleged prophets, that are giving a alleged, thus saith the Lord. Again, supernatural revelation. Not in all cases, but, but in a lot. And in a lot of cases, the loyalty to the leader is, is so strong uh, that they will continue to follow the leader sort of regardless, uh, regardless of any you know, contradictions that might be in their teaching, contradictions with their lifestyle, etc. A couple of real quick examples, uh, you know, from Mormonism, Joseph Smith, uh, you know, allegedly translated some Egyptian hieroglyphics, you know, based on, you know, God's inspiration, if you will. Well, that turned out to be, you know, completely inaccurate. You know, he was making it up. With the witnesses, a long string of date setting that goes all the way back into the uh, the 1800s and predictions about you know th uh, you know events that would occur in the future that you know failed to happen uh, including you know Christ's return Abraham Isaac and Jacob would come back to the earth before the end of the 1920s according to what judge Rutherford thought anyway you know key point being is even though the leaders may say something contradictory or live contradictory to what they teach a lot of the followers just continue to blindly follow them without, you know, examining the Bible to see, you know, what is really true. And so there's there's that danger. Uh, there's also the common or fairly common aspect of, and I want to be a little bit careful about the use of the next term, mind control, you know, having a very strong influence or lock on their believers. As we said, with some of them claiming divine inspiration, you know, whatever they say, you know, the, the people are expected to follow. Of course, we've, we've seen that to some degree with, you know, Smith and Young with the Mormons, Charles Russell with the Witnesses, and that they will say, oh, well, if they're the source of God's current revelation to us today, then yeah, we need to do whatever they say, often unquestioningly. 
Uh, the other thing I just might throw in is, is a lot of times uh, the leaders of the various these various uh, groups you know, will have come from something previous. A couple of just little bits of uh, trivia. Jim Jones, former Methodist and Baptist. Uh, Koresh, a Seventh-day Adventist. Joseph Smith, perhaps had a Methodist background. Charles Russell, again from the Witnesses, was a former Presbyterian and Congregational. So uh, some common traits, but I think that, Brian, the, the key point, you know, psychologically, you know, people get drawn to something, get drawn to the leader, uh, charismatic leader, or claims of divine inspiration, and they kind of get locked in and really somewhat closed-minded, uh, which is most unfortunate. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, as you were going through this, I was thinking back to one of the uh, episodes that we did in this series where we were talking about Martin Luther. And to me, he's similar to some of these others, like Jim Jones or Joseph Smith, that belong to other religions, and they recognize something wasn't right in those religions. You know, if you study the Bible and you're in a false religion, at some point you have to recognize, wait a minute, they're practicing something that I'm not seeing in the scriptures, or they're practicing something that conflicts with the scriptures. So in some of these cases, it caused them to go off and start their own religion. And certainly in Martin Luther's case, we might remember he had the 95 Theses. He pointed out several things at the Catholic Church that they were doing, like the selling of indulgences, you know, selling of forgiveness of sins, as not being in the Bible. And so he sort of called them out on it. But unfortunately, it ended up leading to the Lutheran religion, which even he didn't want, but his followers ended up after his death putting together the, the Lutheran religion. So to start out with, let's just take a look at two of the, the larger cults, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, because they are very present globally. And so let's just take a look first at Mormonism. When you look at their history, you know, if you go and see a sign uh, of their church, it'll say the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And that's also known as the Mormon Church, but that's the sign that you'll see out front. Now, if you go back and look at their history, you'll see that they were organized on April 6, 1830 in Fayette, New York, with six members, and Joseph Smith Jr. was the founder. Now, Joseph Smith claimed that he started having visions and revelations at the age of 14. He also said at the age of 17, he had a vision at night in which Moroni, an angel according to him, appeared before him and revealed to him the hiding place of several gold plates in which were inscribed the gospel, or an addition to the gospel, if you will. He also said that he was instructed by the angel to visit the same place every year, and then there was a claim that he made that on September 22nd, 1827, he was allowed to receive the plates. I guess that was the date he turned 21. Now, he also said that he translated the records dictating them to Oliver Cowdery, who was his scribe, and if you kind of go through that story, you know, he had this thing he called the seer stone, and it was in his hat, and he put his face in the hat, and words would appear, and he would repeat them to Oliver Cowdery, his scribe, and, and that's how, you know, a lot of their doctrine came to be. Well, in that same year, uh, in 1829, Smith and Cowdery said they were visited by an angel, John the Baptist, who conferred on them the Arianic priesthood and commanded them to baptize each other. They also claim to be visited or have been, you know, were visited by Peter, James, and John, who also conferred on them the Melchizedek priesthood and gave them apostleship. Going on in their history, you'll see they set up their headquarters in Ohio and Missouri. Uh, because of their beliefs and what they were practicing, they were expelled from those states. They eventually settled in Illinois. 
and Smith and his brother were killed by a mob on June 27, 1844. He had been charged with treason. And then in 1847, as you go forward three years, they had what they called the Council of Twelve, who elected Brigham Young as their president, and they moved west and settled in Utah, and that's kind of where their headquarters is at today in the Salt Lake area. As it relates to their creeds, they claimed three books to be inspired, The Pearl of Great Price, Doctrines and Covenants, and the Book of Mormon. So that's just kind of some history there. Now, when you look at their purpose, their own stated purpose for the Book of Mormon, according to them, it interprets Old Testament prophecy. It's part of the new covenant to Israel, and it is another witness, another witness to the truth of the gospel. Now, the biggest problem with those three statements at a real basic level is that when you look through, whether it's the Pearl of Great Price or Doctrines and Covenants or the Book of Mormon, you'll see that there are many places where it conflicts with the Bible in many areas. So how can it possibly be considered an extension of the Bible? In fact, it makes me think of 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty-three, where it says, God is not the author of confusion. Do we really think that God would allow additional revelation to be presented that would conflict with the Bible? I don't think so, right? Because we know that the scriptures teach us in Jude 3, for instance, that the faith, the scriptures was once delivered to the saints. And I do find it interesting also, Jeff, that, you know, when according to their articles of faith, they say this is considered to be the word of God. But in Galatians 1.8, Paul here says, you know, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And it fits here, doesn't it? Because they claim this angel Moroni came and spoke to them and brought another gospel. Well, Galatians 1.8 is very clear. And so when we think about some of their tenets, some of their major beliefs, and we're only going to cover a few of them, there are many. One is that only men have authority in the church, according to the Book of Mormon in the book Mosiah, chapter 26, verse 8 and verse 37. Only men have authority in the church. Well, that's an example of a doctrine or a belief that conflicts with the Bible. So in Colossians 1.18, the Bible makes it clear that Christ is the head of the church. It says, and he, speaking of Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Ephesians 1.22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So it was God's plan when he sent Jesus to the earth to establish the church and to be the head of the church. And if you go to Matthew 28, it also says that, and Jesus himself says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And so this is not something that would have changed. It's always been God's intent that Jesus would lead the church. How about something they call the doctrine of apostles? So the Mormon church will maintain that there are still apostles today. In fact, Joseph Smith claimed that he was made an apostle by Peter, James, and John. And there were also, back in that time, 12 apostles that were appointed by David Whitmer and Oliver Cowdery. So what does the Bible say about that? Well, in Acts chapter 1, Verses 21 and 22, the scriptures tell us that to be an apostle, you would have had to walk with Jesus and been an eyewitness of his resurrection. Paul was the only example we see over in 1 Corinthians 15, 8. He was the last to see Jesus. Now, he wasn't walking with Jesus, but he was seen. Paul said himself, 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he was seen by me also. And so Paul was the last to be an apostle. 
If you go over to Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, there were those who claimed to be apostles that were tried and found to be liars. And so in that particular case, Jesus is complimenting the church at Ephesus for testing those who claimed to be apostles and finding out that they were indeed liars. Uh, they believe in the doctrine of the baptism for the dead. So somebody dies, they're out of Christ. Saints can be baptized for those who have died, and that's according to the Doctrines and Covenants, 124-28, and also their Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, pages 7 and 8. Well, the Bible talks about that a man must be baptized based on his own faith and conviction. We see that on, you know, in Acts 2, 37 and 38, and several other passages. Also, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, the Bible tells us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what we have done in the flesh. And so it's our own responsibility to accept the faith, and we will be judged based on how we have lived this life. And in fact, if you look over in Luke chapter 16 and the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, we see that there is no second chance. You know, the rich man died. He went to Hades. He was in torments. He not only regretted being in there, but wanted to go back and warn his brothers. And Abraham told him, they can listen to the prophets themselves. They, in essence, will have to make their own decision on whether or not to follow the truth. So there are, those are just a couple of examples of false doctrines. There are many more that we could go through, like how you know there's a belief in the Mormon church that we can all be gods in the future. There's a stated doctrine of polygamy, you know, having more than one spouse. Um, the Book of Abraham, which they claimed you know, was translated from these Egyptian hieroglyphics that Jeff mentioned earlier. Turns out it was just an obituary listing the dead. So there's all sorts of things that they have some erroneous beliefs on. But anyhow, Jeff, I'll turn it over to you for any thoughts that you have. That's just kind of a, a high-level summary of the Mormon church. Well, and as we mentioned, there's a whole lot of teaching, a lot of documents, a lot of things that they claim to be inspired. So it's it's kind of interesting to try and, you know, understand the various aspects. But, you know, Brian, one of the, at least in my mind, one of the, the key differences, earlier we mentioned, you know, using Bible terms in a very different meaning or a very different way. You know, they, they will claim to believe in the Bible, believe in God, believe in Jesus. But if you really dig into their teachings, in some ways, they are more polytheistic, believing in multiple gods. Mm -hmm. In the sense, at the very least, you know, the, the being we know of today as God used to be a man, just used to be a person in service to his God. And because he did so well, he was elevated to the state of being God, along with one of his wives and along with some of his children, who were now spirit beings in heaven, some of his children to include Jesus and Lucifer, who we know of as Satan. And so when that God decided to have his own planet, create his own men, etc., and give them the promise of, hey, you can become a God like I'm a God. It's like, what? You know, and, and when, you know, that gets exposed, if you will, to mainstream Christians, they'll go, wait a minute, that makes no sense. In fact, I think even with Mormons, they say that's that's more advanced teaching within the church, you know, not necessarily the milk of the word, but nonetheless, it is part of the teaching. So 
again, the use of Bible terms in, in totally different ways. And in essence, when you boil it all down, Brian, I think they're serving a different God than quote unquote mainstream Christianity. You know, they're serving a different Jesus than quote unquote mainstream Christianity with a very completely different, uh, you know, worldview of the super, of, you know, the supernatural nature of God, nature of Jesus, uh, et cetera. So anything else you want to add before we uh, move forward? Yeah, I'll just say like with some of the things that you just mentioned, you can imagine as significant as that would be if it were true, it would be in the Bible. I mean, Genesis gives us how the earth came to be, how man came to be. If anything that you just mentioned they believe in was true, surely God would have mentioned it in the Bible. That would be pretty significant when it's the to leave out and reveal later. Indeed. And you know, a concept that says both Jesus and Lucifer are children naturally created by god and his wife in a previous existence like no no way outside of uh, christianity so to speak so with that let's shift gears over to another large group of people that kind of fall under very similar umbrella of being you know led by a central organization and that would be the witnesses and since brian kind of went through the history of the mormons i'll kind of do the same thing with the witnesses so in some ways, it goes back to the 1870s with Charles Taze Russell organizing that in Pittsburgh. Now, he wrote six volumes entitled Studies in the Scriptures and claimed in so doing that the plan of God was made known through him as never before. Uh, early followers uh, were given several different names, including Russellites, uh, Millennium Donists, uh, International Bible Students. Charles Russell died in 1916. Jeff Rutherford sort of took over the leadership. And at a convention in 1931, they selected their current name, uh, which is uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. The Watchtower and their Track Society is sort of like the big publishing arm, if you will, uh, of the movement. Uh, they print a lot of material. Uh, in fact, a lot of our listeners may have had that material distributed on their uh, doorstep. Sometimes you'll see uh, pairs of them at various places, malls, whatever, uh, with you know stands of, of material, and that these uh, very uh, a lot of publications, a, a lot of very uh, you know well put together, very visually appealing uh, publications, you know teaching uh, Jehovah's Witnesses doctrine. In fact, this name Jehovah's Witnesses is is kind of weird to the rest of us. You know, you, you can't see God. You can't see Jehovah. You can't be a witness of Jehovah, etc. But uh, they claim, uh, Isaiah 62 uh, prophesies that giving of the new name, uh, which they claim occurred in 1931. In fact, each issue of the Watchtower magazine has the, the tagline, you are my witnesses, says Jehovah, Isaiah 43, verse 12. Now, of course, you know, they've all got a purpose, is to teach their followers what they believe to be the truth, and, of course, they would say that, you know, all of organized religion, all of Christianity has pretty much perverted the truth. Uh, and they're fairly hostile, if you will, toward, quote, unquote, all other alleged, you know, Christian religions you know, other than their own. A uh, quote, uh, people cannot see the divine plan in studying the Bible by itself. Evidently a claim made by publicist uh, Watchtower Magazine in 1910, uh, September 15th, 1910, page two. 98. So an interesting uh, history. Uh, one or two other things I just might throw in real quickly. 
um, if I remember correctly, the, the witnesses came out of a movement called Millerite-ism, which was a lot of, you know, second advent of Jesus prophesied in the uh, mid-1800s, which turned into the great disappointment when Jesus did not come back. And, you know, this was one of the groups that sort of splintered, you know, off of that. We'll see a couple other groups a little bit further on. Uh, but, you know, as we'll get into in a few moments, uh, some very distinctive teaching, a lot of it which contradicts the Bible. Before I go there, Brian, did you have anything else in, you wanted to mention in terms of, you know, history or, or, you know, how they came to be? Yeah, I'll just say that much like the Mormons, you can see it dates back into the 1800s. So these religions have been around a while and they have grown and have a global following. And so, you know, you could really consider them to be mainstream religions in that sense. True. Uh, and, you know, like with the Mormons, a very strong, I'll say, outreach or ministry. I mean, with Mormons, you've got, you know, pairs of young men. And these days, you know, young women, you know, going around neighborhoods, uh, witnesses, a very similar uh, construct, uh, door knocking, etc. So a very uh, strong outreach and uh, visibility, if you will, in the community. So let's kind of pivot a little bit and talk about various uh, teachings of the witnesses. And just for starters, they would deny anything like an eternal spirit or an eternal soul of man. That's, unfortunately, in contradiction to uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 26 through 27, talking about the dead. Uh, but concerning the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning book passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. And in fact, Brian earlier mentioned Luke chapter 16 with the rich man and Lazarus in Hades. They would deny that. They would deny there's a Hades. They would deny there's an afterlife, if you will, uh, any sort of consciousness, any sort of uh, eternal spirit that leaves the body and continues on. Something else interesting they would say that Jesus was not divine, not deity. They deny the Trinity, basically, that when Jesus was on the earth, that he was just a man, just a man, uh, and that there is only one God. Uh, Jesus is not deity. Holy Spirit is not deity, uh, etc. In fact, according to studies here in the scripture, volume two, page 153, in truth, when Jesus was on the earth, he was a perfect man, nothing more nothing less. And of course, that, that denies the what the Bible says regarding the nature of the, what we would call the Trinity, uh, as well as the nature of Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, for in him, that is in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, it's interesting that that verse follows uh, what verse 8 says, where lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Beware, lest people cheat you. And of course, we have John 1. You know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, was deity. Verse 14, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, fundamentally different regarding the nature of deity and the nature of Jesus. They would deny that Christ set up his kingdom back in AD 33, day of Pentecost, Acts 2. They would say his kingdom has not yet been established. And of course, with that, uh, they would agree with a lot of the premillennialists, 
that would say, you know, the church is not the kingdom. You know, Jesus set up his church. Maybe he wanted to set up his kingdom, but he set up the church instead. And when he comes back the second time again in the future, uh, he will set up his kingdom. Uh, and of course, to that, the, the witnesses would agree. Uh, however, unfortunately, that again contradicts the scriptures in terms of Mark 9, verse 1. That there be some of them that stand here that will not taste of death until they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. The fact that the church is, you know, the, the kingdom, Christ's kingdom, Jesus being king, uh, Colossians 1.13, he being Jesus has delivered us into the power, or delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us, past tense, conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. The fact that the New Testament scriptures equate in many ways the church to the kingdom, you know, the, the kingdom at hand as both John the Baptist and Jesus preached about. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he being God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Conveyed, past tense, already in existence in the first century. Witnesses have a lot of things regarding, you know, end times. The earth will never be destroyed. In fact, the earth will serve as a dwelling place for most of the saved. I say most. I'll clarify that in a few moments. But according to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. They would deny that. They would claim that the earth is going to be rejuvenated, made a beautiful paradise, and most of the saved will go there. Of course, those who are lost... You know, they don't believe in hell, so you know, there, there's not that concept. In fact, the, the lost will just cease to exist. And when I say most of the saved live on earth, they believe uh, the mention of 144,000 in Revelation is literal, and that only 144,000 exactly will be going to heaven. Of course, everyone else who is saved, as a witness, of course, you know, will dwell on a rejuvenated, wonderfully beautiful paradise earth. Bible says, mm, not so. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, or the Lord added to the church daily, those who are being saved. Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And of course, as you go through other scriptures, there's not, you know, two different levels of salvation, if you will. There's like dwelling place with God in heaven. And of course, there's a lot of other false doctrines, as we've mentioned, no such thing as hell, no such thing as the Godhead thousand-year reign of Jesus on the earth. Um, but I think one of the more interesting aspects, Brian, uh, of the witnesses is that they've been consistent, consistently inconsistent, I guess if I could say it that way, in setting dates for Jesus's return. You know, 1874, 1914. In fact, I think as recent as I think it was like 1970, might be 1972, 1974. Uh, yet another date set for Jesus' return, which you know came and went like all the other date-setting events, uh, unfulfilled. So, uh, sort of like a, a an overview, if you will, of a lot of things that the witnesses proclaim, which are contrary to the teachings of the scriptures. Right. Yeah, as you were going through this, you know, I was thinking about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, where he talks about, by their fruits you will know them. So by the things that people teach, 
you will know them. And we certainly just kind of briefly covered some of their doctrines. We could have probably spent an episode on each of these religions, but you know, this really just hopefully gives you a sense of some of the beliefs that are way different than what the Bible teaches. And so to claim to believe in the Bible, to claim to be an extension of the Bible, but yet have doctrines that clearly conflict with the clear teaching of the gospel says that it's not possible that they could be the Lord's church. And so we would just encourage everyone, as we have from the beginning, examine what any religion teaches and compare it to the scriptures. And if it in any way is adding or taking away or changing, it has to be rejected. That's what the Bible tells us to do, as we saw in Galatians chapter 1, when it said, whether we or an angel from heaven bring to you any other doctrine, let them be accursed. That's crystal clear. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up now with a couple of questions that have been submitted about these religions and their practices. Okay, Brian, looks like you get the first question from Ken. He says, I recently joined the Mormon Church, which also states that it is the Church of Jesus Christ. I'm wondering if you can give me more information whether this is the true Church of Jesus and if the beliefs of the Church, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, are true. Uh, and he mentions baptism for the dead, temple marriages, sealings in the temple, and that's sealings with an S as being sealed together, a husband and wife in the temple, etc. Please let me know what you believe about it and why you believe what you do. There you go, Brian. Good question by Ken, and he has every right to say, you know, tell me about what you believe and why. And this really goes back to what I just mentioned, and that is, you know, certainly want to commend Ken and anyone for their desire to know if they are part of, you know, members of, join the correct church, that sort of thing. And so the good news is, as we've been kind of saying all along, the Bible provides us with some really clear guidance, you know, on this important question, am I in the right religion? So first, let me just say that, as we've been also stating all along, we should not follow men but God. And so it's vitally important, you know, Ken, that you and others that are listening worship with a church that is practicing the truth based on what's taught in the New Testament. So just a couple of examples at a high level of what does the church of the New Testament look like? And Jeff actually covered this in detail in the first episode in this series. But I'll just say that, you know, we see that in the first century, the church came together on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. So it's not the Sabbath. It was the first day of the week to remember the Lord's death on the cross. And we see that from passages like Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. And then Jesus instituting what we call the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, 26 through 29. So we partake of those emblems to remember his death. We also see that the church assembled for worship. And when they did so, they sang to the Lord. And we see in Colossians 3, 16 and Ephesians 5, 19, that's by, you know, our singing and the, the voice from our heart, not on instruments. We also see that they offered up prayers, Acts 2.42, that they gave back to the Lord monetarily to help support the work of the church, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, and they heard the word proclaimed in a sermon, Acts chapter 20, and verse 7. So if you want to follow the pattern of the New Testament church that we read about in the Bible, you will see that these are the things that they practice, and so therefore, this is the same pattern that we must follow for any church that we join. We need to make sure that that is what they're practicing. Now, we also know that to be a member of the Lord's church, you have to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. We see that in passages like 2 Peter verse three, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9. Of course, that starts with the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24. We must be willing to repent of our sins, Acts 2, 38. 
because Romans 3.23 tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and so therefore we are in need of forgiveness. And, you know, so once we believe, we're willing to repent. Well, the next step, according to the scriptures, is to confess our belief in Jesus. And we see that in Romans 10.10. And then to be baptized for the remission of our sins, you know, Mark 16.16, and so forth. So, you know, 1 Peter 1.9 also tells us that when we are baptized, it will lead us to the salvation of our soul. So once again, that's the pattern that we see in the New Testament. And then, you know, once we've been baptized, that's where it really starts. We've made a commitment to God to follow his will. We're told in Acts 2.47 that once you are baptized, you're added to his universal church, which is the body of all Christians around the world. And we are considered children of God. And then, you know, we continue from that point forward to learn more about God's expectations of us. We ultimately want to join a local congregation, you know, a church to work with, the brethren there to do God's will. The scriptures also make that very clear. So it's not one of these things where we're baptized and we occasionally go to worship. We occasionally go to remember the Lord's death. No, we join a church that meets on every first day of the week. And oftentimes they'll meet maybe on a Wednesday or something during the week, but we join that church and we work in the local community with that church. That's the pattern that God's Word teaches us. And so when it comes back to the Mormon church, unfortunately, as we kind of pointed out in this podcast, and Ken would see in digging into it himself, that the Mormon church is really a man-made church that has added these additional creeds to God's Word. And, and we would just have to conclude that they're not practicing the truth according to what we are taught in the Bible. Jeff? I appreciate that, Brian. In fact, as you were talking, something else came to my mind, that in all of these cases, I would tend to say, regardless of whether we're talking modern religion or cults or various Protestant denominations or Catholic uh, divisions, etc., you know, we talk about them sometimes, you know, they don't teach the truth. Well, that's partially true. In a lot of cases, some of them do teach the truth according to the scriptures. I mean, Mormonism is, is an interesting example. Among all the different religious groups out there, they're one of the few that teach what you just said a few moments ago, immersion in water in order to have the forgiveness of sins. I mean, they, they, they nailed that one. But their concept of God, their concept of Jesus, their concept of priesthood, their concept of revelation and apostles and modern-day revelation isn't, is not true. So I just thought I'd, you know, kind of highlight the, the fact that in a lot of these religious groups, you know, you can find some truth. All right, Jeff, so I have a question here for you from Cherry, and she says, I have known a few people that say they are ordained ministers and say they have gotten their ordination from the Universal Life Church. A lot of celebrities have gotten ordained from here also, and they ordain people of all faiths from Christians to Wiccans to Satanists. This is what their mission statement says. The Universal Life Church was founded on the basic belief that we are all children of the same universe and derived from the basic belief has established two core tenets by which it expects its ministers to conduct themselves. Do only that which is right. Every individual is free to practice their religion in the manner of their choosing as mandated by the First Amendment so long as that expression does not impinge upon the rights or freedoms of others and is in accordance with the government laws. We have made it our mission to actualize these tenets in the world by empowering millions of ministers, whether they come to us from a Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, Jewish, Catholic, 
Shinto agnostic, atheist, pagan, Wiccan, or Druid tradition to speak their own truth to power. Interesting statement there, isn't Jeff talking about their own truth and so forth? Yeah, well, indeed. Uh, and in fact, you know, since we're talking about, you know, cults and various modern religions, I really do like this question because I think it highlights the extremes that some allegedly religious groups can go to. In fact, I'm reminded even of what's called the Unitarian Universalists. That basically say, you know, we're all going to be saved, so it really doesn't matter what you believe. Uh, I did a little bit of, of further research into this Universal Life Church. Uh, it claims to be a non-denominational religious organization. Evidently, it was founded in 1962 by Kirby Hensley under the overall arching doctrine of do that which is right. It advocates for religious freedom. And evidently, it's a very popular, quote-unquote, church, because in a lot of cases, like with state laws, at least here within the United States, you need to be a, quote-unquote, minister to perform wedding ceremonies. And so I guess a lot of people are, you know, going through this organization to become a, quote-unquote, minister that then would allow them to officiate at, you know, wedding ceremonies of, you know, friends and relatives, etc. But as you pointed out, or as, the, as Cherry pointed out, they really have only one belief. And I think this is key. They believe in that which is right. And in every person's right to interpret what is right. Interesting. They have no creed or authoritative book, such as the Bible. Brian, I don't know about you, but in my mind, I immediately, you know, trigger that over to or, or associate that with Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8. You shall not all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Or in Judges, at least a couple different places, but for sure, Judges chapter 17, verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And in both cases, that concept of each person doing what is right, quote unquote, in their own eyes, according to their own interpretation, condemned. <laughs> so here we have a religious group that comes along and says, oh, we like that. <laughs> We're going to make that our core doctrine, even though it is explicitly condemned in the scripture. And, you know, Brian, just to add to it a little bit, it kind of ignores the whole concept of there being truth. Is there or is there not a supreme being or beings up there or were but no longer or still is, whatever? You know, did, is there or is there not a standard of truth, religious, spiritual truth, insight into not only the supernatural world, but what supreme being you know wants us to do and to follow and of course we would point to you know the scriptures the bible genesis to revelation etc as being that revelation as a standard as you know having been faithfully given to man and preserved for our benefit here comes along a religious group saying yeah doesn't matter if, if you want to follow the new testament that's fine if you want to follow only the old testament that's fine if you want to follow islam from Muhammad, yeah, that's fine. Even if you want to be agnostic, nah, I'm not certain there's a God out there. Atheist, which says, nah, ain't no God out there. 
pagan, Wiccan, or Druid, <laughs> you know, that's okay. You know, do whatever you think is right. Do whatever you think is right. Which, once again, uh, scriptures within the, the New Testament clearly condemn that. Jesus, John chapter 8, verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Or as he says over in John chapter 12, verses 47 and 48, if anyone hears my words and does not believe I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me, of course, Jesus speaking, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Again, yet here we have a religious group coming along saying, nah, doesn't matter. You know, you can be part of us. You can get certified. You can become a minister. You can go officiate in weddings and you can practice whatever you believe is right. And that, to me, Brian, is a very extreme example of what you can get into these days with various cults and modern-day, quote-unquote, religions. That's right. And, you know, there's no end when you disregard the Bible as the only standard. There's no end to what you might start to believe. And so I find it interesting with this statement. When you have that philosophy, then you create chaos, in my opinion. and division and uncertainty, whereas the beauty of the Bible is it gives us certainty. And I was thinking, Jeff, as you were going through this about Ephesians 4, you know, where it says that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, and so forth. And so there aren't many. And we certainly don't have the luxury of bringing in our own think-sos or, hey, I feel like this would be better. Many examples of where God punished some even with death, for changing anything that he's asked mankind to do. So anyhow, we just ask the listeners to consider, do we have latitude when it comes to these sorts of things? And the Bible makes it clear we don't. It's about respecting God's word, I guess, right? Well, and, and really, and that's, that's the emphasis. Uh, not respecting the word of your preacher, or your pastor, or your rabbi. It's not respecting the word, so to speak, of your cult leader, you know, in a, in a more extreme case. You know, nor is it relying upon your know, various church councils, church creeds, church manuals, or even you know allegedly modern day inspired alternatives to the Bible, you know, like the Book of Mormon or the various writings of Mary Baker Eddy, uh, etc. All right, very good. Well, that wraps it for this episode. We thank you for joining us and would like to encourage you to go over to our website at BibleQuestions.org where for some additional information that we talked about in this podcast, you can go to the letter C and go to the section on cults, J for Jehovah's Witnesses, M for Mormons, D for Denominationalism, F for False Teaching, C for Church the True, so we appreciate you joining us. Next time, we will finish up this series by talking about the traditions of men versus the Word of God as it relates to modern religion. So we hope you'll stop by next week as we wrap up this series. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at BibleQuestions.org.